So this morning's reading is from the Gospel according to St Luke, chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those there who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for Luke. We thank you for these words. And I pray that you would speak to each one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us hear what you would say to us through these words, that we might be more faithful as your disciples in these days. Amen. Going to clap a well-known rhythm, see who the first person is to get it. Anyone know it? Beethoven? Five. Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da. Oh, no, that's the wrong key, but never mind. I often have rhythms going on in my head. And because I have a rather restless leg, 
They're often tapping away on the floor. Some of you may well have noticed. It used to drive my parents mad when I was doing my homework upstairs, sitting in my bedroom on my desk, and my little foot would be whacking away on the floor, and Dad would be like, shut up! (laughs) The rhythm of discipleship is rather calmer than my restless leg. It's more like breathing in and out, or like the gentle waves uh, lapping on a seashore, coming to Jesus and going with Jesus. We come to Jesus and we go with Jesus. Sometimes in life, we might have an extended period where we do one of those things, but I've found that usually it's more of a daily rhythm. To go alongside breathing or maybe eating, if you eat at a similar time every day, or working, or resting. It's that sort of daily rhythm. So although we might describe what happens in our passage this morning as a mission trip, it can still teach us what it means and looks like to go every single day. Now this passage goes alongside the beginning of chapter 9. If you have a Bible open, if you just flick back a page, You'll see that at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus calls the 12 together. And he does a very similar thing. He gives them power and authority, and he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom, to take nothing with them, to heal the sick, and they go from village to village proclaiming the good news. And then so we know that it isn't only about the 12 in particular, or church leaders in general. Here in chapter 10, we have Jesus sending out 72 others. I guess in today's terms, if Jesus and his followers were a church, the 12 might be the leadership team and the 72 might be the congregation. Don't push that too far. I'm not Jesus. (laughs) What it means is that that the 72 is a sign that this is not just for those 12 core leaders, but this is for all of God's people, for all disciples of Jesus. And I like that bit in in, in verse 2 of chapter 10. Jesus invites them to pray. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Because then he tells them that they are the answer to their prayer. In verse 3, he says, Go, I'm sending you. It's you. You are the workers. You are the ones that I am sending to bring in the harvest. Friends, that is a word for us today, just as much as it was for them. I expect most of us here long to see people becoming Christians for the first time. I expect most of us pray for that to happen. I hope, I hope you do. I do, certainly. But most of the time, God answers that prayer by saying, Go, I'm sending you. If you want people to know me, Jesus says, they need to be told. And you know me, so I'm sending you. Now, I'm no farmer, I've never been a farmer. Uh, I tend to kill everything that is green in my life, uh, ironically. But I have watched Clarkson's Farm. Sorry, I do find Jeremy Clarkson entertaining to watch on television. In the first series, that's a confession, in the first series, there is a moment where his field of barley wheat is ready, but he can't find anyone with a combine harvester. Combine harvesters are very expensive, so most farmers don't own one. They rent them. And uh, there's a huge panic, of course, no doubt exaggerated for television purposes, because barley has to be harvested at a particular time. Something to do with moisture content. If it's too dry or too wet, 
then the crop is ruined when it's harvested. I didn't know that. Now, almost every person listening to Jesus, those 72 and probably the 12 and anyone else who was there, would have understood that the word harvest goes with urgent. It's ready now. You don't, have to, you don't get to wait six months to bring the harvest in. You have to go straight away when it's ready. It's even more urgent when, as Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. There's loads of it. And it's even more urgent when the workers are few. In many ways, this is a harvest, it is plentiful, and there are few workers. It is urgent. Jesus says, go, go now. We see the sense of urgency comes up in verse 4 as well. Jesus says to them, do not greet anyone on the road. Now, I'm sure most of us know what it's like when we're in a hurry, trying to get somewhere. And uh, someone, we run into someone that we know, and they really want to have a conversation. (laughs) And uh, you don't want to be rude, but you don't want to be late either. And they're they're ignoring your sort of passive-aggressive way of looking at your watch. Or sort of just over their shoulder, sort of edging around, sort of like this. They're ignoring all those signs. You know what that's like, I'm sure. Jesus was not telling them to be rude. He was telling them not to delay. And not to get distracted on the way. Not to get distracted from this vital task of sharing the good news of the kingdom. That the king is here. How good I am at being distracted. Uh, When I pray, my mind wanders all over the place. When I write a sermon, suddenly housework seems like less of a chore. (laughs) I see all the things. Oh, I could just do that, couldn't I? Other distractions are perhaps a bit more serious. I'm distracted by fear of rejection, so I don't tell people about Jesus. I'm distracted by my desire for everyone to love me, so when I do tell them about Jesus, I I talk all about the the nice bits, the love, and I forget about the cost of discipleship. I'm distracted by a broken world in the news and my doom scrolling, and so I, I give in to despair. I'm distracted by my sinful desires, and so I hide away in shame. We need to identify what distracts us. Not so we can feel bad about ourselves, but so we can do something about it. So we can go with the urgency of harvest time and not be distracted on the way. Hear these words from Hebrews 12. They're well known. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. What distracts you? might be similar to what I've just shared. It might be very different. What takes your eyes off Jesus? What stops you from obeying Jesus' command to go? What excuses do you use to ignore this urgent harvest? You may find it helpful to talk to a Christian friend or family member about some of those questions, not to make yourself feel bad, but so you can learn not to be distracted by those things, so you can learn to overcome them in the power of Jesus. So go now, Jesus says, the task is urgent, but don't go alone, go together. Jesus sent out the 72, like the ark, two by two. 
He did that because when we proclaim the good news of the kingdom, it's hard, it's dangerous, and it's easy to get discouraged. Now, there was a straightforward practical side to Jesus sending them out in pairs. In those days, there were many dangers on the roads. I mean, I I feel like there are many dangers on the roads in Birmingham. Uh, But uh, the dangers on the roads in first century Israel were more to do with robbers and even wild animals, wolves and lions. Going in pairs was quite simply a safer way to travel. But there's a spiritual danger as well with this mission. And it's perhaps there that we might feel that it's more relevant for us today. Jesus said in verse 3, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now I'm as much shepherd as I am farmer, as in not at all. But I'm pretty confident that when a pack of wolves finds a flock of sheep, there's only one outcome. And it's the sheep sheep don't win. And Jesus doesn't even give us the dignity of being sheep, does he? He says, I'm sending you out like lambs. I mean, lambs are ever so cute, aren't they? But they're absolutely useless and completely helpless and quite tasty. (laughs) (laughs) Friends, sorry if you're a vegetarian. (laughs) Make no mistake, we are in a spiritual battle. And the enemy has real power. He is the wolf, and we are the lambs. And faced with the strength and the power of a wolf, lambs don't stand a chance. Except for the lamb. Because in Jesus, the tables are turned. Have a look with me at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord... Even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, this doesn't mean that disciples of Jesus are immune to physical harm. See, we watched the video from Open Doors, which makes that point very clearly. It doesn't mean that we're immune to snake bites or scorpion stings. But ultimately, nothing, even the power of the enemy, nothing can take away the fact that our names are written in heaven. It's picture language that means we belong to God. That's where our home is. Who we are as his children can never be taken away. We are in a spiritual battle. We will see gains as people are released from addiction, healed of diseases and forgiven through faith and repentance. And we will see setbacks when they aren't. And we don't understand. And we can't explain. The enemy's power and the danger is real. So is the victory won for us on the cross by Jesus Christ. And one day we will know that victory in full. But let's dig a little bit into those setbacks for a moment. Uh, With the second point here, it's easy to get discouraged. Did you notice when Pat was reading that uh, in his instructions to the 72, Jesus talks quite a lot more about them being rejected than when they'll be accepted? Verse 10, 
When you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgments than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. It's the realm of the dead. Verses like these don't tend to fit with our normal picture of Jesus. But if we want the real Jesus and not a sort of projection of ourselves, we need to hear what he actually said and to see what he actually did. And that's not always easy. See, the point here is simple. Not everyone's going to accept the message of the gospel. The good news that God's kingdom has come, that the power of the enemy is being broken, that there is more to life than this. Thank goodness for that. That those who repent are forgiven and will receive new life. That is the message of the gospel, and not everyone's going to accept it. Bethsaida and Capernaum, and presumably Chorazin, we don't really know, but they were places that Jesus ministered himself. In those places, Jesus preached the gospel. In those places, Jesus did miracles. They had Jesus himself, the Son of God, standing in front of them, And they said, no, thank you. It isn't easy when friends, loved ones, family members seem to be ignoring the message we long for them to accept. What this passage does is release us from some of that guilt that we feel when we share the gospel with someone and they say, no, thanks. Because people said no thanks to Jesus. And in verse 16, he says, Whoever listens to you listens to me. And whoever rejects you rejects me. It's about him, really. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And the sad truth that many have and still do reject him. We need to keep praying and keep trying. You see, I don't recommend wiping the dust off your shoes and storming off when someone rejects the gospel. I mean, by all means, try it if you feel led to, but I don't suggest that as a a way of behaving. Those instructions from Jesus, the 72 in verse 11, I think they're a little bit like the instructions in verse 4 about not taking a purse or a bag or or extra sandals. I think they make most sense if they're specific to those people at that time. Because the point was that the 72 had to work their way through all the towns and villages that Jesus was going to visit. So there was no point in them wasting their time in a village that didn't want to hear. So Jesus said, move on. I studied with a non-Christian friend at university. And uh, every now and then she would ask me about my faith. But the moment... I started to talk about Jesus. We were studying theology together, so she was quite interested in philosophy and and stuff like that and biblical criticism. But the second I started to talk about Jesus, it was like the words were being plucked out of the air. I've never seen anything like it. 
I always answered when she asked, but there was no point investing significant time in that conversation because she just wasn't hearing what I was saying, and it was obvious. She never responded to an invitation, even when it involved free food, the staple of CUs the world over. I lived near another friend for four years. He wasn't a Christian either, but he was more interested in faith, and we had several conversations about it, but he was never ready to respond personally. I didn't brush the dust off my feet and walk away, but neither did I keep banging on about Jesus all the time. I tried to make the most of opportunities to share my faith, but never seemed to get through. After four years, I moved away, and about three weeks later, someone invited him on an alpha course, (laughs) and his life is now slowly being transformed. We need some wisdom here, And we need some trust. We need wisdom to know when someone isn't listening. When it maybe isn't their time. And we need to trust that the rest of us are following the call to go as well. That there are many of us sharing this mission. It's not all down to you. It's down to us together. So whether we're facing physical or spiritual danger or we're feeling discouraged, it helps to know that we're not alone. We stand shoulder to shoulder with our sisters and brothers in Christ, here in this church family and with those wonderful godly people all over the world facing persecution and all over the world. We are to pick one another up when we stumble. We are to pray for one another, to keep one another going, to help one another fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't have to do this alone. Thank the Lord that Jesus sends us out together. Finally, where does Jesus send us? Into the blue hall? (laughs) Into the kitchen? Onto the church rotors? Janet will probably nod. Do you know, is it 79 people on the church rotors? Did you, when you, 79 people on our church rotors. I want to pause and say thank you. <laughs> that is astonishing. 79 people on our church rotors. But that's not where Jesus is sending us. <laughs> Jesus, in verse 2, asked the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Verse 3, go, I am sending you out. This is part of the daily rhythm of being a disciple. Lovely and vital as it is to come to Jesus, to sit at his feet, to rest there and to rest in him, he also sends us out into the world. And that's where the LICC stuff about front lines, I think, is really helpful. Because this is not necessarily about becoming a mission partner in another part of the world. If that's you, please come and talk to me. If you think God might be calling you to that, he does call people to do that. Please come and talk to me or someone else if you'd rather. It's not necessarily about preaching in the middle of the bullring and and sort of telling people, probably has got her head in her hands. If God's calling you to do that, then do that. Great, you know, with our blessing. It might not be very effective, but you never know. It might not be going around knocking on doors. Your front line is wherever you are day by day. Maybe your work, your friends, family, maybe the carers who come to your home because you can't go out as easily anymore. Whoever you meet, 
during the week, that is your front line. That is the place where Jesus is sending you. You see, God does not only work inside church walls or within the church family. But look at verse 1. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Jesus sent them ahead of him to the places he was about to go. They and we, we're like heralds announcing the coming of the king, announcing that there's a new king in town, except his name isn't Charles, it's Jesus. But they were to discover that God was already at work there. He was already at work in the people in those towns and villages. Look in verse 5. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. During the final lockdown, I had a phone call from someone whose wife had died. And uh, the funeral had taken place a few weeks before. But he was having bad dreams and he was anxious that she wasn't at rest because the funeral service hadn't been taken by a Christian minister. It was a, a humanist service. At the time, we were allowed to visit people in their gardens. So I went and I listened and uh, we prayed together. We did a short service. There isn't really a service for that. in the com- There's a service for everything in common worship, but there isn't really a service for that. So I kind of made something up a little bit. And I shared the gospel message of the peace that comes from Jesus. The peace that only comes from Jesus. I invited him to come to our place of welcome when it reopened, and he said he'd like to. Now, people often say things like that to vicars. So I did a little mental eye roll. Sure, sure. But I did agree to let him know when we were reopening so he could come along. And I did. And he was there the very first week we were back. After two weeks, we invited him to come to a service. The next Sunday, he was there. God was at work in that man's life long before I picked up the phone. There are countless people out there in the world in whom God is at work right now. In all sorts of ways. Jesus was not lying when he said the harvest is plentiful. Though it's easy to doubt his words. That's actually one of the enemy's oldest and most successful tricks is to make us doubt what God has said. Read about the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Jesus in the wilderness. If you really are the Son of God... One of the most important things for us as disciples of Jesus is to trust and put into practice the words of Scripture. In Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that his teaching, by which I take him to mean all of Scripture, which is the Word of God, bearing witness to the Word of God, Jesus, all of it is solid rock. The only foundation on which we can stand and withstand the winds and the rains of the storm. Jesus is not lying. The harvest is plentiful, and it is out there on our front lines. 
I think what Jesus is describing here is something like a search and rescue operation. Searching out those in whom God is already at work. Those who are ready to hear the message of the gospel. Those who are ready to hear about God's kingdom. Those who feel there must be something more than this. Searching them out and rescuing them from darkness by pointing them to Jesus. It's not we who do that, it is him. It's not about us being arrogant and thinking we're better than everyone else. It's about us sharing the most precious and amazing thing that anyone could ever have or know. Jesus Christ. For ultimately, this search and rescue operation belongs to him. We go ahead of him like heralds. We find he's already at work. We go with his authority, in his name, and at his command. The task is urgent. Jesus says, go now. The task is hard. Jesus says, go together. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus says, go out. Jesus says, go. I'm sending you. Amen.